Let's just come before the Lord in prayer. Lord, thank you for this time that we can come together as people who love you, to worship you together, to raise our songs of praise, to come with our prayers. And Lord, we pray that you'll look at our hearts and that you'll see hearts that are worshipping you. And Lord, I pray for any that are here this morning who still do not know Jesus Christ as their Saviour. May they too be drawn this morning by your Spirit. May you reach a heart that is lost and bring them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. You can do this, Lord. You've promised. And so we look to you. But Lord, as we open your word now, may we recognize too that it is your word to us. It's not just a book. It is your breathed out word, the living word of the living God. Speak directly to our hearts, we pray, and change us so that we can be faithful witnesses as we leave this place. Lord, thank you for that picture this morning that there's a history to this town and there's a history to the Christian message in this town, Lord, and thank you that we are part of that bigger picture. But Lord, equip us now so that on our shift we can be faithful witnesses to Jesus Christ. You do not necessarily ask us to be martyred today, but you command us to be faithful witnesses. And so Lord, help us in that immense task through your Spirit and with the abilities you give. We ask this in your precious name. Amen. I'm going to ask a few people just to come up here very quickly, please. Uh, Ravi, uh, where else is Long John? Ah, oh, there you go. Come on, Long John Silver, up here. And uh, John Rayland. Um, let's have a couple of ladies. Any lady volunteers? Anyone? Anyone? You're not going to do anything. You're just going to stand here. Please. Any ladies? Come on, I don't want to pick on ladies. You must come. Excellent. That's alright. That's enough of us. Look at us. We're all so different. We've got different personalities. We look different physically. We've got different interests. We've got different emotions. Different way we handle life. Look at us. And yet the amazing thing is, and we're going to speak about this today, is that the Lord has saved us. All of us. Different as we are. But there's a responsibility on us now. That even, we, even though we're so different to each other, some more different than others, hey Colin? That we are to love each other. And so that's the main thrust. If you don't hear anything else, if you fall asleep halfway through, please remember this. We're all different. But Jesus has saved us and we are to love each other. Look at us. Harder for some, easier for others. <laughs> now turn with me word to the passage of Scripture where this comes from. And if you're a visitor amongst us, we've been studying John chapter 15 and this great analogy that the, the Lord gives here of the vine. 
and the branches in, in the vine and the results of all that and then the responsibilities which come from that. And so we're going to read through uh, verses 1 to 17, although we'll only look at verses 12 to 17 this morning, but just to get the picture and to get this into our minds, let's read John chapter 15, verse 1 to 17. I'm reading from the ESV version. Jesus speaking, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Well, we've looked at being in the vine. Who is the vine? Jesus Christ is the vine. We are the branches. If we are connected to Him, and the only way you can be connected to Jesus Christ is to bow the knee to Him. And when you bow the knee to Him, He puts new life into you and He connects you to Himself. And His juices, the life of Jesus Christ, flow into you. And those things, those, that life of Jesus Christ will be in you forever, He has promised. Nothing will be able to remove you from Him. That doesn't mean that your relationship with Him stays what it should. And that's where we get disconnected in our relationship with Him. It's when we allow sin to infiltrate our lives, when we don't deal with it before Jesus Christ, when we don't allow Him to take that sin away from us. Our relationship with Him is disconnected. 
To put it more accurately, there's a disconnect in our relationship. And so we need to come to Him and ask for forgiveness and ask Him to wash us clean again. And He promises to do so. And when we do, He washes us clean. And He cuts away those bits of us that are filled with sin. He makes us slowly to be more like His Son. That's the work of Jesus Christ and the Father. And as we do so, we looked at the promises last week of what will happen to us. Our prayers will be answered, and I'm not going into all that again. Our prayers will be answered because if we abide in Christ and He abides in us, we will be praying according to the will of the Father. And so He'll answer those prayers because He always answers His promises to us. We saw that our, we'll receive assurance because we'll know His love in us. We saw that the Father will be glorified through our lives and that we will know the joy of Christ in us. And it's a joy which is consistent. It doesn't matter what happens in life because it doesn't depend on circumstances. Our joy then depends on Jesus Christ, the one who never changes. So that's what we've looked at up to now. And now, in light of everything that Christ has done for us, we come to this command to us this morning. And that is, love one another as I have loved you. In light of everything I've done for you, says the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're going to look at that, He says, love one another as I have loved you. You see, He gives it to us, not in a request form, but in a command form. It's an imperative. Love one another. Exclamation mark. Why does He say that? Because Jesus Christ knows us. He's our Creator. He knows that love doesn't come automatically to us. What comes automatically? Selfishness. That comes so easily to us. And so He commands us, love one another. And this love He's speaking about is not one that's subject to our emotions. We aren't just to love people if I feel like loving them. Because that will be an easy cop out. Oh no, I don't feel like loving you, so, sorry. It's a command to us, we are to love each other. In the marriage relationship, imagine what it would be like if you just loved each other when you felt like it. I'm speaking about practice as opposed to theory. If we just loved each other when we felt like it, our marriages wouldn't last at all. And that's why in, in the world and in, in, a, in a concept that they understand of love means when I have feelings for you, people can fall out of love with each other, they think. It wasn't real love in the first place. Because real love is lasting. And it's based on the love of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, love each other because I command you to love each other. Not because you feel like it. Who are we to love? We're to love one another. Who's that? The church, the saved ones, those who are also connected to the vine, specifically in this command that we, we get. Love each other, fellow branches in the true vine. How? With the love poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, says Romans 5.5. 5. You see, we, we are to love each other with the love which is given to us to the Spirit. It's not based on my emotions and my feelings and my, my wants and needs for the day. We have to love with the love that Christ gives us. 
And we have to love each other. Fellow branches in the vine. How can we not love someone who is also connected into Jesus Christ? Can't work. And how are we to love? He says in, that, in verse 12, Love as I have loved you. How has He loved us? Glance back in your Bibles to verse 9. He says, I have loved you as the Father has loved me. So I love you. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. So how are we to love each other? As Christ has loved us. As the Father has loved Him, and He has loved the Father, we are to love each other. Now, how is that possible? Because they are God. They are the Trinity. I can't ever love like the Trinity. I can't love like God. I'm just an imperfect person. But as the Holy Spirit helps us and grows us and enables us, we can love like Christ loved us. Depends on Him. And so, I'm to imitate Christ in His love. With an abiding love. The love of Christ which abides in me. Do you see where this comes from? It all comes from outside of me. It doesn't depend on me. And yes, in some, in some aspects, I can't imitate the love of Christ. I can't redeem mankind by my love. I can't do that. Only Christ could do that. I can't die a substitute death for sin. Only Christ could do that because of His great love for us. I can't do that. But I am to deny myself. I am to imitate His self-sacrificing love. That's how I am to love. Look around you. That's how I am to love each other in this body. And then he carries on, verse 13, he says, No greater love has someone than to die for their friends. He uses an example. And then he elaborates on that example and he takes it. And he makes it a lesson for us. He says, There is no greater love than when someone dies for their friends. There is no greater love than that. You don't have to die, but you die on behalf of your friends. That is true love. And we have many examples of that in history. People who have died for their comrades, or people who have died for their friends, or people who have died to save others, whether in a river or whatever situation. That is a human example of the greatest of loves. You see, who's Jesus speaking to here? Let's just put ourselves in that picture. He's speaking to His disciples. He's about to leave them and go and be crucified and Judas has just left the room and they were all surprised by that. And Jesus also knew that there's going to be disunity among these very same men that he's speaking to. Very shortly, they'd be arguing, they had been arguing amongst them, sorry, shortly before they'd been arguing amongst themselves who's the greatest in the kingdom. They had a whole bunfight about that. He's speaking to these men. He's saying to them, love each other. He knew that very soon in Christian history, there'd be disunity among these very same men. They would disagree about how to do ministry. And there'd be another bun fight. Paul and Peter would have a big old bun fight about how to do mission work. And Jesus is speaking to them and he's saying, you need to love each other. I'm entrusting you with the responsibility of evangelizing the whole world. Love each other, otherwise it's not going to work. How did he demonstrate this love? He would shortly die for these eleven. He would shortly die for you and I. 
he would shortly die for any who would come to him and bow the knee. And so here's the first lesson we get from this love with which we are to love each other. Love each other as we imitate Christ. You want to love each other in this body? Then imitate Christ and love your fellow believers. There's the first lesson. Secondly, he speaks about being friends of Christ. He says, verse 14, You are my friends if you do what I command. You see, he picks up on that lesson of greatest, the greatest love there is for, is for friends to die for another friend. He says, you are my friends. Well, what, what does he mean by this? This wasn't the attitude of the rabbis of the day. The rabbis of the day did it another way. They were in charge and everyone else just sat underneath them and they were subservient. But this rabbi was very different. This great teacher said, no, you are my friends. I make you my friends. You see, in the Roman world that they lived in, because the Romans had control of their society in that day, they knew about this concept of friends of the emperor. It was a special title given to people. If they did something which the emperor was pleased with, they became a friend of the emperor. It was a title given to them. I wonder if it's a bit like being an, a dame or a knight today. Although I don't know if you have the same privileges as the friends had. You see, because a friend of the emperor had access to the emperor 24-7. Whenever they wanted to, they could come to the palace and say, I would like to see the emperor. And they would be given admission. Very special friendship. A title given to them. And so, living in this worldview, Jesus makes use of this word friend and he says, I call you my friend. And they knew what he was talking about. It's a bit different to our superficial friendships we have today, isn't it? Facebook. Oh, I don't like them today. Unfriend. So easy. They don't even know. I, I don't know if you've noticed that now. They'll just carry on thinking you're their friend, but actually you're not. How two-faced. How cowardly. This is not that type of superficial friendship. Jesus says, you are my friend. You see, we need to be reminded of what that means. He's calling us His friend. What were we before He called us His friend? We were sinners. We were slaves of sin, says Romans 6.20. And what did Christ do? What would He still do in His disciples' case? He bought them. He redeemed them. He made them His own. And then He called them His friend. They became bond slaves. To Christ. No rights of their own, but they became a chattel of their master. And Christ changes that. He says, yes, you are slaves of Christ. And he uses that again later through the apostles. But he says, now I call you a friend of Christ. You've got 24-7 access to me. You are my friend. Now, please, it doesn't mean we've got an equal footing with the big J. As I've heard we are never on an equal footing with Jesus Christ. He calls us His friend. He's not our big J. He is still Lord. He is still Master. 
And yet, there's that closeness between us that although He's our Lord and Master, we've got access to Him any time as His friend. Do you see that relationship? He's talking about that relationship. No longer we treat it like chattels, but someone who has direct access to the Son of God Himself. Think of that. In, in the time of Jesus, slaves just had to do whatever their master said. No questions asked. They didn't need to ask for a reason. Move that chair. Why? They didn't need reasons. You just moved the chair or you died. That's how slaves worked. But, Jesus says, it's not like that. As a friend, I give you reasons for what I do. And so he reveals to us God's reasons for our existence. We've got his word. This means, when he gives us the understanding, it's an added benefit of being the friend of Jesus Christ. He explains why God does things in our lives. We are the friends of Christ. He reveals his word to us as his spirit enables it. And so there's a second lesson for us. We are to love each other because we are called friends of Christ. Look around you. That person that you find it hard to love, they're called the friend of Christ too. So we need to love them. Christ says so. Thirdly, we are chosen by Christ. Now some people are going to get uncomfortable here. You see, in the first century, a disciple would look for and choose a rabbi to sit under. That's the worldview people had. And so if I wanted to be a disciple of a great rabbi, I would select one, I'd watch them for a while, listen to their teaching, and then decide, I want to study under this rabbi. And then I would join their discipleship course. I would become a disciple under this rabbi. And whatever they said, I then had to listen to and obey. Because they would teach me. So they chose their rabbi. Jesus says, no, I chose you. I chose you. I choose you by my free, spontaneous and loving initiative. And this is where the big word, election, comes in. I elect you. I choose you. This is no normal two-way approach as in a normal friendship. But I choose you unconditionally if you will come to me. And I choose you because I have sovereign grace that I look at you with. I choose you when nothing in you says that I must choose you. There's nothing good in any of us that makes Christ choose us. He chooses us because He chooses us. It's His sovereignty at work. I'm not finished here, so don't give up on me yet. We are not hyper-Calvinists. A hyper-Calvinist says, Christ just chooses you. You've got no say in this at all, and in a way I don't. And so, therefore, it doesn't help doing any evangelization work, doesn't matter, because Christ will choose who He chooses, and so I can just sit back and uh, be a Christian. and Soak up the Word and that's it. I don't have to reach out at all into the world. Because Christ will do. He will choose who He will choose. That's called hyper-Calvinism. We don't believe that. We believe that Jesus says, I chose you. And yet, somehow in Scripture, there's this mysterious, we also choose Him. How? Well, he gives us the faith 
to be able to choose Him. He draws us to Himself to such a point where you can't do anything else but come to Him. And there are some of you sitting here who know exactly what I'm speaking about. There's something that draws you. You can't understand it. You come to church, you can't understand that. Because they're weirdos. And yet, here you are. And then, there comes a day when suddenly these things make sense to you. Because you understand the gospel message. And when you understand what you've been saved from, your heart just flows out in gratitude to Jesus Christ. And you say, yes Lord, I want to follow you. And there you've chosen Him. But He's made it all possible. Because if He hadn't, you would still be walking away from Him. And that's the mystery of the gospel. He chooses us. And yes, we choose Him. Very small brackets. But He chooses us. He's the sovereign God. And this statement here, and this verse is one of the most clear ones in Scripture. And if you don't like the whole election thing, then you've got to deal with this verse too. Yes, you see, Christ chose us when we could not or would not choose Him. We were, says Ephesians 2.1, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And one lady came to the, the great teacher Spurgeon and she said, I've got great difficulties with this, Mr. Spurgeon. I have to choose God too. And he said, my dear madam, as only Spurgeon could, he said, dear madam, dead bodies in a graveyard cannot choose anything. They are only submitted to the process of decay working in on them. You see, Christ did not choose us on our merits. He just chose me because He wanted to choose me. Nothing else. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 26 to 29. Have a look at this. We're not finished with the subject of election. I'm only halfway. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 26 to 29. This is what it says. But God, verse 27, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom and our righteousness and sanctification and redemption. You see, why did God choose us? Because otherwise, as little human beings, we get big heads and we say, but God, I also chose you. It's all of God's grace to us. It's all of His unmerited love to us. He chose us. You see, some people say, God looked down the timelines of history because He's God, He can see these things. And He noticed who was going to choose Him and then He chose them. I don't see that anywhere in Scripture. And it makes God not sovereign. You see, God is the one who is before all time. He didn't need to look down the timelines of history. God chose us, says Scripture, before time existed. He was the sovereign God. He knew us before we were in our mother's bellies. He knew us. He chose us before all time. He is the sovereign, all-powerful. He is the all-knowing, all-omniscient God. He chose me. He chose me and He doesn't choose someone else. And all I can just say, 
is thank God. I don't know why He chooses some and not others. I don't know. God is God. He has His reason. But when I look around me, I know, as I've got to know you in this congregation, God chose you, and God chose you, and God chose you. And some sitting here, God hasn't chosen you. You'll know in your heart. So what do we do about that? Can we see who He has chosen and who He hasn't chosen? No, we can't. And that's why we have to get out and evangelize. That's why we have to bring the gospel before everyone that God puts in front of us. Why? Because only He knows what He's going to do. Our responsibility is to bring the gospel to everyone that comes into contact with us. That is how we are to love them. Love them. Because of this statement that God is the electing God. Ours, our job, is to be faithful witnesses. And that's why we need to get out there. And so we just accept this. God says so, I accept it. And with my little human processor, I can't understand everything around election, but I've got to just accept it because His Word says so. So let's accept it. God is God. He's he's omniscient and all-powerful. Let's just take Him at His Word and say, Thank you. You chose me. Help me to be a faithful servant. And so there's the third lesson. We need to love each other in gratefulness that Christ chose you and I. Let's love each other. When you look around at your brother and sister, that one that you find difficult to love, Christ chose them. You better love them. Because Christ loves them. And then the next responsibility for us. He appointed us to a task. Verse 16 Let's look at that verse, verse 16b. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Let's look at that verse. I chose you and appointed you so that you should be going and be bearing fruit, says the literal translation. In your going, in other words, be bearing fruit. And while you've got life in your bodies, that means you're going. And so while you are be going, be bearing fruit. Do you understand my bad English? While the Lord gives you life, and while He's put responsibility before you and other people before you, go and be bearing fruit. Now that sounds like a lot of pressure. But then we remember, what does Christ say? Whose fruit is it? It's His to give us. And say, if we are abiding in Him and He's abiding in me, He will put the fruit in my life. And so, now it makes sense. As I'm going, I will be bearing fruit. And this fruit will be pointing to who? To Jesus Christ and the love of Jesus Christ in us. And if we have fruit which Christ gives us, then it will abide. Because His fruit is special. It comes from Him. It can't fade. His fruit is abiding fruit. And therefore, we will be able to fulfill this task that He gives us. And the fruit that we bear will therefore stand the test of time and it will stand the test of circumstances and we'll have our prayers answered, He promises us. Why? Because if we're bearing this fruit, 
Christ is abiding in me. I am abiding in Him. And therefore, I will be praying with the will of Christ. And the whole passage is tying together beautifully. So here's the fourth lesson and then we get to the so what's. Fourth lesson is love each other as part of your enduring fruit. Love each other because Christ is doing it in you. Now what do we do with this? You see we've still got a verse to go. What does it say? These things I command you, he reminds us, so that you will love one another. So what's the so what? It's easy. Go and do it. We need to go and do it in response to all that Christ has done. We need to love each other, not just in theory, but in practice. A.W. Pink, famous dead guy, said this, Where there is no Christ-like love, there is no grace. Think about that. Next time, someone really chips you off. And you lose the thread with him. Think of your marriage relationship with your wife. If she's a believer or he's a believer. Where there is no Christ-like love, there is no grace. There is no work of the Spirit. And there is no reality in our religion. The Apostle Paul commented on this. He said, we then have become a noising, noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. It's all just noise. I love Jesus. Noise. If you're not loving. You can read your Bible till you're blue in the face. But if you don't love people, it's a noisy gong. It's just noise. You see, it has to be done in practice. The logic here is this. I'm going to repeat this. So listen to this. a summary of what we've been doing. This is how this works. I, being myself unlovable... Yes? Okay. That's a good start. I, being myself unlovable, cannot keep on loving my brother or my sister who is also often unlovable. At least as the way I see them. Unless I constantly reflect on and remain in the love of Christ for me. Not only do we love Jesus because He first loved us, but we also love one another because He first loved us. Our love for one another is an extension of Christ's love for us. I'll repeat that whole statement. It's critical. Here it is. I, being myself unlovable, it's a good place to start. Cannot keep on loving my brother or my sister, who is also often unlovable, at least in my eyes. Unless I constantly reflect on and remain in, connected to, the love of Christ for me. Not only do we love Jesus because He first loved us, but we also love one another because He first loved us. So how do we do it? Because He first loved us. And so therefore, the second point of the application is, let's love each other with human clothes on. And please, I am qualifying it. Be human in your love to each other. Don't just keep it as something you understand, but keep it as something you do. And that's why I handed out those little notes to you. These are the one another's 
the love one another's of Scripture. We need to go and look at those. We have to be devoted to one another. Look around you, the believers here. Be devoted to one another. Live in harmony with each other. Stop passing judgment on each other. Don't become a stumbling block or an obstacle to each other. And they carry on. You need to go and look at these as the church of Jesus Christ here at Wangana East. Because that is the practical application of this passage. Love one another in Jesus Christ. And so we have to have Christian hospitality. Which starts here in the church and then moves into our homes. And Kiwis, are you listening? Open your homes to other people. There's still this remnant of... Excuse any Brits that are here. There's still this remnant of this British, my home is my castle. And I speak as a foreigner who's been here for 21 years. Open your homes to other people. Of all nationalities. Let them dare come into your home. Show hospitality. Because you're showing the love of Jesus Christ. Visit each other. Be with each other. Barbecue with each other. Bring your non-Christian friends to those barbecues with other believers. Don't think they're going to say something and I'm going to be embarrassed and I'm not going to know what to say. Invite them to your home. Because that's the way Christ's love is shown to the world. Visit each other when there's sickness. The elderly, the lonely. Stick with each other through the joys, the sorrows. Life's walk. That's the hard stuff. Because it can drain us sometimes. Take practical care of each other. Put your gloves on or take them off, whichever suits best. And help each other. Get in your car. And yes, it's going to cost you. But love each other in Christ. Be community of Jesus Christ. We are in the vine, people. And it starts here when we have a cup of tea soon. Go and see those that you don't know yet. Risk it. Get out of your comfort zone, says the Lord. And in this way, as we interact with each other, if there are still unbelievers amongst us here, it will speak about the love of Jesus Christ and our Father will be glorified and Jesus' love will shine through us to them and they will say, well, if that's what real love does, that's what I want. And we're pointing them to Jesus Christ. You see, the world is watching. And there's my third point. So when you interact with with believers in the world and you love each other before the world, the world takes note because the world's relationship with each other is very different. The selfish thing is there again. Everyone does what what they're going to get out of it. The world looks at the way we love each other and it points to God. And they say, who can, such, who can make such a difference in our lives? It can only be God. John chapter 13 verse 35 says this, By this, that is by your demonstration of your love for each other, all men will know that you are my disciples. Take note, all men will know that you are my disciples. If you have love one for another. These are Jesus' words to us. I didn't dream these up. He says, love each other. So how much has Christ loved you? Now love one another with that same love. And the last verse for us to look at together. 1 John 3 verse 18. Dear children, let us not merely say that we love each other, but let us show the truth by our actions. 
It can't be more plain than that. Let it move from words to actions, into our homes, that the world may know that Jesus lives as we are shining bright, shining lights for Him. Lord, through Your Spirit, do this work amongst this body here in front of me and do the work in me so that we can shine the light of Jesus Christ into Wanganui East to our neighbors next door, across the road, and into this community. Amen.